get into our final conversation for the morning. We're focusing on the research that has been done into school infrastructure and how it shapes a teaching and learning in the country. Uh, joining us for this conversation is Head of Research at Equal Education, El- Elizabeth Biney. Elizabeth, good morning. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning to you and your listeners. Thanks for having us. Hendrik Maganeda is the Director at the Foundation for Education and Social Justice Africa. Hendrik, good morning. Uh, good morning, Kathy, and thank you for having us. And Elijah Mklanga is the spokesperson for the Department of Basic Education. Elijah, good morning. Kathy, good morning, and uh, good morning to the colleagues on the other side. Elizabeth, let me begin with you and give you an opportunity to set the context for, um, you know, the the recent protests you've held and really asking for the education department to meet um, the basic norms and standards, at least those minimum uh, requirements that have been uh, set out in the framework about exactly 10 years ago now. Yes, um, I mean... The, the, if you follow the conversation or the struggle of learners across the country, you know it took a lot of advocacy effort on the part of school communities to even get the minister to introduce that piece of law. And we've been tracking its progress for the last 10 years, and we are still dismayed that the basic infrastructure and services that schools need to be able to function properly to create conducive environment for learners to, you know, and teachers alike to learn and thrive in it are not there in most of the schools in across the country, especially in our rural provinces and marginalized communities like township schools. And so it, it, it becomes a question of um, where we are prioritizing and who we are prioritizing in the sector. And it is grossly unfair that black and brown learners are continuously denied their basic rights and their their dignities and their you know their safety is compromised because we have a department that is not you know addressing the challenges at the pace or it, with the intensity that the the the, the you know, matter requires. And so we need to be able to bring these issues to the fore because it is unfair to expect these learners to compete on an equal footing with their well-resourced um, counterparts and even ones that go to private or independent schools. Elizabeth, part of the challenge, I imagine, from your end is that you have seen a, a continued rollout of new schools, right? And and mm. it's it, it's it's a it's a two pronged question. I'm going to ask you: mm. Do the new schools that have been built in the last ten years, number one, do those meet the minimum norms and standards? Number two, the rate at which schools are being built, does it also accommodate? the refurbishment of old schools. So if you have schools that already were sitting with infrastructure that's dilapidated, let's say, 15 years ago, are we finding that there's been at least some effort to try and refurbish those schools while alongside the new schools that are also being built? Or have those been just completely neglected? Um, And, you know, then they, of course, are stuck in, in the same place? Um, I mean, it would be grossly unfair for us to say that the department has really done nothing, right? 
So we do acknowledge and we always, you know, applaud some of the progress that are being made in the sector as far as infrastructure provision is concerned. So where we are now and where we were 10 years ago, even at the end of apartheid into the new democracy, the conditions are not the same. There have been infrastructure developments in key areas and in, 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 in certain provinces that warrant it. The, the question is not about whether or not the department has done something or is doing something. It's about the pace at which that they are addressing the base of all, right? So what we are discussing or what we, we take grievance to is not even emerging needs. These are historic backlogs. All right, it looks like we've lost Elizabeth on the line there. Hendrik, I'm going to come to you and give you an opportunity um, to speak to that issue, to, to speak to this issue, at least from the perspective of um, the Foundation for Education and Social Justice Africa. Hello, Hendrik. Yes, uh, thank you very much indeed, uh, Kevin. Are you able to hear me loud and clear, Hendrik? All right. Looks like our phone lines are just crashing. Um, Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We're going to try and get everybody back up on the line. I wonder if there's an issue of connectivity um, that is taking place. Obviously, usually it means something to do with load shedding at this time of the morning. So we're going to try and get our back, our guests back up on the line. And I do apologize um, for this interruption. We continue the conversation on the talking point. It's 18 after 11 o'clock. We're looking at um, school infrastructure in this country, the way that it is shaping teaching and learning in this country and the calls then for the basic education department to meet the obligations when it comes to the minimum norms and standards uh, for public school infrastructure. Elizabeth Baini is with Equal Education. Hendrik Maganeda is with the Foundation for Education and Social Justice Africa and Elijah Mklanga is a spokesperson for the Department of Basic Education. Hendrik, I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak to the issue at hand today, which is really, um, you know, the, the the lack of 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 being able to meet this these legal obligations by the Department of Basic Education. Yes, yes uh, thank you very much once again, uh, Kevin. I think that uh, it is fair to state that, uh, yes, uh, government has got a duty to fix our schools. Uh, government has got a duty to meet uh, minimum norms and standards as, uh, you know, from time to time as uh, the issues unfolding now that uh, equal education has got uh, problems with uh, the fact that they've not been able to, to meet these uh, minimum norms and standards, uh, you know, since the last 10 years. But uh, I think uh, not necessarily, I think Elijah will speak on behalf of government, but uh, as society, we must also give credit where credit is due. I think that from our standpoint is that up to now, the government has been able to to invest a lot. If you look also at the apex priority of government being education, which gets uh, the biggest chunk of the budget. Uh, but I want to believe that there are many factors which might have affected uh, the government in this regard, especially the fact that at some point the budget has had to be revised 
uh, you'll remember even the COVID uh, period. And so from time to time, even now, if you listen to what the finance minister is saying, they might be, you know, they might revise some of the budget allocations, which from time to time are able to affect some of the issues. And uh, we saw the minister also extending some of the deadlines uh, in relation to the latrines, for example. So I think up to now we can say, if you look since 1994, when government, the South African government, uh, democratic state took over, I think that we can safely say that they've really done a lot. Uh, issues such as uh, school nutrition, for example, they've been able to provide them without fail. And I think that we should applaud government where they've done well. But at the same time, we are saying that where government alone is not able to fully address some of the outstanding issues, perhaps there's a need to collaborate with the private sector. Uh, I think in this case, the minister should really find a way to collaborate with the private sector to ensure that where there are still uh, issues of uh, you know, poor infrastructure such should be addressed. But lastly, the point remains that we also need to applaud them for, you know, taking the making making it a priority to make sure that they address issues of inequality. We all know South Africa is the most unequal society, or it's one of the most unequal societies in the world. And therefore, the fact that there's work being done, really, uh, we should uh, encourage government to do more with a view to ensure that a safer environment for learning and teaching is created. Mm. Thanks for that, Hendrik. Let me bring in Elijah. So, so Elijah, based on what both Hendrik and, and Elizabeth are saying, there, of course, I think one of the primary concerns would be when we look at the infrastructure backlog, right, how far back does it run currently? And to what extent then would, let's say, workers, not workers, um, learners that are going to schools that have been on the list for needing improvements, even with something as basic as pit latrines, to what extent is that issue then being prioritized when it comes to the overall spend on infrastructure? Um, yeah, Casey, important question. The backlog, we go back to 1994. That's the date that we've been using. But we also found that there were a lot of schools that were built around 1995-96 by communities. And some of those uh, schools were mud schools, others built of inappropriate uh, material. And those are the schools that we've been targeting for replacement by uh, proper buildings that we have been uh, building in different parts of the country, the majority being in the Eastern Cape. So... The spend has been focused on those areas where there's a need to provide basic infrastructure where there's none. When it comes to the provision of uh, infrastructure, it's not a straight line, Kathy. It's not as simple as saying, here's a school that needs to be rebuilt, let's go rebuild it. I'll give you an example that in the Eastern Cape, there are many brand new schools which we built um, as part of the Accelerated School uh, Delivery Initiative in the parts of Ntata, Libote areas. Those schools are new, but the enrollment numbers have gone down drastically, which means we've had to pause and say, is it really 
still needed for us to continue building here, noting that there's people moving out of those areas to the urban centers. We've had to, to revise our plans. But we also have what we call uh, rationalization of schools, which means we monitor the enrollment numbers in the different parts of the country and make a decision that we need to close some schools down and merge others with those schools that have some good numbers. So that is another factor that affects the pace uh, with which we build schools because you might have had a plan based on a needs analysis conducted earlier that you need a school in that particular area, but all of a sudden you find that people have moved out of that area for economic opportunities mm -hmm. elsewhere, which means you now need to think twice about how to resolve the situation um, as, as it prevails in that particular community. But the other factor is the issue of the natural phenomenon, like the weather. You've had floods which have damaged lots of schools in the Eastern Cape and KZN and other parts of the country. There is a certain area in Lipopo where every year at the same time there will be damage to schools and they have to repair those schools. So the fact that you can't move forward, you have to keep fixing some of the schools, it means that those people who have been waiting for proper infrastructure will have to wait a little longer because where a school is damaged today, the expectation is that it must also be fixed and it is also your duty to make sure that it is fixed. And then you have the other issue of the vandalism. Now that in fact, we are afraid, once again, that now that we are going to the, um, the holidays, um, you are going to have a lot of schools damaged, equipment stolen, uh, even some of the building uh, blocks removed as well from schools uh, because people want to, to take some of the equipment for, for, for themselves. That, when you open the schools at the beginning of the year, it affects you as well because you now need to fix a school with money that you don't already have for repairing. So there's a lot that happens that affects the pace of building. Yes, progress is there. We are building schools. There's a lot of schools that have been uh, built. There's a lot of sanitation facilities as well. I mean, of the 3,380 that was identified in 2018, there's only 400 left that we still need to attend to. And we believe that by the end of this current financial year, we would be done providing uh, proper toilets in the schools, replacing those inappropriate uh, pit latrines. Elijah, just so that I'm clear, when you say the backlog goes back to 1994, are you saying mm -hmm. that there were schools that were identified post-democracy as needing some form of rehabilitation, whatever that means, whether it's the eradication of pit latrines, whether it's building new infrastructure altogether, that there are still schools today that were identified in 1994 that still have not had any kind of intervention. Hello, Elijah. <laughs> All right. It, it seems I've lost Elijah there, but I'll give him an opportunity to respond uh, to this issue when we have him back on the line. Elizabeth, are you able to speak to that issue? Because a lot of the research that, that you do, of course, is also mm. in this space. Um, yes, and precisely the point you're raising is exactly the the, the, the you know the genesis of our frustration, because I can 
I'm sitting in the Eastern Cape right now. I can, you can come out, can hold your hand, and I'll take you to a school just like up the road from where I am. And to, they will tell you that that school was, uh, there was a mobile classroom or one of those refurbishment thing put there, fabricated classrooms in 1998 and they were promised it will have to be changed every three years or something and they are still waiting nothing has happened so the backlogs we are talking about is the thing the the conditions the democratic government inherited from the apartheid system right so even the 1994 um date we are using as a reference is a conservative one it goes well back into the past and so for schools to be sitting there kicking and screaming and asking for the bare minimum since 1994 that is 30 years into democracy we are still talking about the same thing over and over again it is not a matter of not giving credit where credit is due yes they are building schools but even the 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 emerging needs, you know, the schools that they are building are also going to be needing maintenance. And we don't have a maintenance culture in this sector or even in the country at large. And so we are dealing with inherited backlogs, emerging needs, and it's almost as if we take one step forward and six back. So right. it is a really big problem. All right. We'll continue the, the conversation in a moment. It's 11.30 now. Time for your latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're leading the conversation on SAFM. Thanks for tuning in this morning. You're listening to The Talking Point. We're focusing on school infrastructure uh, for this hour. Elijah Mklanga is the spokesperson for the Basic Education Department. So, Elijah, my question to you was around the the backlog. You you talked about it being identified in 1994, or there having been schools identified in 1994. So the current backlog that we have, does it have schools that were identified then that are still part of the list? Um, well, Casey, as she said uh, from Equal Education, nineteen ninety four is a reference point because that's when this government took over and found that there were a lot of things that were happening that needed to be attended to. Remember, before ninety four. We had 19 different education administrations, which means each one was doing its own thing. So this government had to find a way to unite the system to be one and uh, taking all the liabilities from the past. So there were some schools which were built in 96, 97, 98 by communities using MAD. So some of those schools have been replaced. In fact, a lot of them have since been replaced. But there are other schools as well which were built by these very communities. And the communities are refusing for these schools to be closed because they were built by communities and given the name of their favorite person who was there at the time that they wanted to pay tribute to. So, so when yeah. we say as a department, we need to close down that school because that even that location is not the appropriate so, one. So, so they Elijah. refuse and insist and want to keep that school there, which means that school is continuing to be in the place where it shouldn't be. And these are some of the schools that also get reported so, as so, not being attended. So, 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 Elijah, just in the interest of time, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you can just maybe keep your answers a bit shorter for me. So, so clarify this issue for me. So the answer to that question then is yes, that there are schools that were identified in 1994 that needed refurbishment and to date 
are still outstanding? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying all the schools that we're attending to are schools that when the ruling party took over in 1994, found to, to, to be needing attention. And the huge majority of them have been fixed and a lot more brand new schools have also been built yes. in the places so, of those so, schools. So, so Elijah, <laughs> the, what, what, you're bringing me to, to my point, which is something I wanted to raise, right? At the yeah. point that the, the the department is building new schools. You spoke about the fact that there's, um, you know, a move of of of, of pupils from from or le- learners from some areas, um, your more rural <coughs> areas into urban areas. The yeah. Houting Education Department will often f- point to the fact that their parents who will send their children to live in Houting simply because they believe that they will access a better education here than perhaps elsewhere in the country. So it is a phenomenon, but one of my questions always becomes would we see the kind of movement that we have especially that's driven around education if in fact those schools that you're talking about had received the necessary interventions whether it's improvement to infrastructure making sure that it meets um you know the the basic norms and standards because you're talking around the issue, but if, if I'm hearing you clearly, what you're saying is that there are still schools on the list that form part of the backlog that goes as far back as 1994. Okay, so I think what we need to clarify is that the cause of people moving, immigration or migration rather, is not because of education. It is because of economic opportunities. You will see that where people are building shacks as well, near industrial areas, near the cities, because they are hoping for a job. They take their children with them. They have left brand new schools which have been built in the rural areas where we thought those rural areas need urgent intervention. We have built those brand new schools, but there's no one in them, new as they are, state-of-the-art as they are, but there's no one there, not because of education, but because of unemployment in those areas. So the issue of the economic uh, uh, development and uh, people seeking employment, having to move from where they live to the city, has a huge role to play. In all, right. So, all right, all right. Let me bring in Hendrik. Hendrik, um, perhaps just a minute for you to share your reflections before I take uh, a number of callers on this issue. Well, Kathy... Uh, I think that uh, now that you have also touched on the issue of 1994, we must be able to also look at the states and from where we are sitting as activists in the Foundation for Education and Social Justice, we noticed that uh, before 1994, only 40% of children uh, in the country were able to complete uh, grade nine. And, and today, almost every child attends a school, and, and more than 40% of them complete grade 12, as you have seen, uh, with the states. And, uh, you know, that translates to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. But at the same time, you know, the, we know that, uh, you know, there are 80% of learners who, who get a meal a day, and about 16%, 16% of them do not pay a, a school fees. So... In that regard, that is where we are saying we should really applaud government. But where there is backlog, 
where there is backlog as a result of this, some of the challenges that uh, Elijah spoke about. The issue of climate changes, when you recall, has affected uh, KZN with the floods that uh, destroyed uh, infrastructure and so on. We think uh, that uh, government should be able to to be more proactive instead of uh, reacting to the challenges, just to be more proactive to plan ahead for this unforeseen uh, Uh, challenges that uh, often destroy our infrastructure. All right. Let me go to the call lines. I'm going to ask our listeners, please keep it as short as possible. Kolani, you're in the Eastern Cape. Good morning. Hi, Katie. Um, Katie, I'm a little bit disappointed. Sorry to say this. That's the reason why sometimes it's best when you call somebody from a department, you invite uh, the, the director generals who, will, who are more on the administration. Spokespersons tend to be defensive and protective of the state because that's what they are paid to do. I'm in the Eastern Cape. I, Tata, Lubote, and the places that the gentleman was also quoting, I know these places very well. The, the issue at hand here is that there is no comprehensive feasibility studies done by the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they're gonna they're gonna be able to focus on why should we build a school in that place? What are we planning to achieve when we build a school in this place? The high dropout rate of the kids in the former Transkei is just unbecoming at this moment. There are kids who are not even going to school at this particular point in uh, in time. I was surprised that uh, Henrik is talking about a, a, an improved position when it comes to school. He must look at the TB, the former TBV states, the, the lowest, the, I mean, there's so much kids that are not in schools. There's so much kids that are still dropping out from grade nine. The schools are not teaching the core things that were once taught, like agriculture. I use I always call about this. These guys need to communicate why is agriculture not in the schools, which is all going to be able to help and reduce the issue of malnutrition. Because even if people are studying, uh, study and drop out at a later stage, they will have the basic uh, opportunity to plant their own uh, crops in their gardens. All right, Kolani, out in the Eastern Cape. Thank you for that. Sammy, you're in Dobsonville. Good morning. Good morning, Katie. Yes. The basic department must take responsibility of to the non use of its failures and start making excuses. If you look at the people, for example, majority of the schools just there. They were either built by apartheid government, NGAs, or private companies. It is important that these people have never done anything. If they have, they've done very little, which is even insignificant. I can give you the case of Michael Cormack, for example. He's part of ANC's failures. So to him to come here and say that, no, we've done a lot, this, that, and the other. They haven't done anything. If they ever done anything, none of that is ever evident. And they must stop making excuses saying that, no, people have made much hard, they've made much schools, and when they try to refuse those schools, the communities are protesting. They're the government who has been saved. Give people must take responsibility of to deny us of their failures and, and, and accept it so all that right. we can vote them out next year. All right, all right. Sammy, out in Dobsonville. Um, Tandisa, very briefly for me, please. Good morning. Hi, Kathy, how are you? I'm good, Tandisa. Go for it. Okay. Kathy, you know, I agree with this guy who called first. He says sometimes we need somebody who takes decision, not Elijah, because it's a spokesperson. You know, Kevin, uh, I want to ask the Department of Education how much they spend for 
I don't know if it's Mikuku or if uh, containers that they are doing extension, extension in class for for classroom in in schools. Because if you can check that money they spend there, Kevin, you can build the other classroom uh, with bricks. But because when you raise these issues with education department in Northwest, they are going to attend to you because they don't want to be asked questions. You see, Kevin. All right, yeah. Now, they spend a lot of money for this Mikuko or these containers. You can go all around in Northwest. Every school has these containers. Why these containers in Democrats? All right. All right, Tandisa. Uh, thanks for raising that issue. So, Elijah, I'm going to give you an, an opportunity to respond. I literally have under a minute remaining, Elijah. Go for it. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Uh, in terms of mobile classrooms, those we we bring them to schools on an urgent basis because we need immediate relief, especially when there's a sudden increase of learners that turn up in schools without prior notice that they were going to be there. This happens as a result of immigration which has taken place. Insofar as agriculture is concerned, that's actually not true. Agriculture is present in schools. In fact, agriculture as a subject has expanded into three components. So it is growing as a subject. It is there. I thought uh, the caller would know better because when he started talking, he sounded like he knew what was taking place in the sector, but I was disappointed at the end. All right. Elizabeth, 20 seconds for you. I mean, our message is short. We need a government that has the needed political will and urgency to address the backlogs and the magnitude of the challenges that we are facing in the sector. Enough with the excuses. Um, we, we acknowledge that there are challenges, but we think with the needed political will and actually proper planning, we can get the business done. All right, that's where we leave it for this morning. Thanks for tuning in on The Talking Point. Up next, the book reading.